You're listening to the Red Wave Report, the number one rated Fresno State podcast. The thoughts and opinions are that of the show host and in no way reflect the thoughts and opinions of the university. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Red Wave Report. I am Lucio Arik, your host of the show, and joining me as always is my co-host, Mr. Lorenzo Reyna. Lorenzo, how are you doing today? Lucio, I'm doing absolutely great. I mean, just survived my first week zero of the high school football scene, but today... I'm not here to talk about high school football. We're here to talk about something else, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. We're, we're getting the podcast geared back up again to talk about Fresno State football. And, you know, we're, we're less than a week away now. Well, if you count today, yeah, we're exactly a week away from, uh, from opening kickoff as Fresno State takes on, uh, who is it, Incarnate Word? Was that correct? You got to know it? these things, Lucio. It's Incarnate Word. <laughs> they were once NAIA. Then they moved to Division Two. Now they're FCS. And here's a claim to fame on Incarnate Word's side. Ricky Williams, the former Texas Longhorn standout and NFL star, he was actually on the coaching staff. Oh wow, wow! So you know, there's a little bit, there's a little bit of a, a background pedigree for uh, Incarnate Word, and it's one of those games that we'll finally get to see what Tedford has been able to put together during the off season, because a lot of you may not know this, but most of this team could be unrecognizable to some of the fans out there because there has been a lot of changes, a lot of transfers who have come in, uh, a lot of walk-ons, and a lot of players who have left the program. So it's kind of, you know, everybody's going to get a chance to kind of see what the Bulldogs are about this season. And one of those people who, you know, is going to give his opinion on some of this stuff today is one of our longtime uh, subscribers to thebarkboard.com and listeners to the podcast, and some of you may know him by his handle on the barkboard as uh, I.B. Harry. Is that correct, Harry? Is that your... called Ibar. Ibar Harry. Ah, I, I, always, I get those mixed up sometimes, but, you know... Well, it's, it's an interesting... It's associated with a location up in the gold country near Sonora, and it's a... Uh, I used to do in the summer some gold prospecting and work and stayed at a place called Italian Bar, and that's... It, it's, in the area known as Ibar, and so that's where it comes from. So I'm kind of nicknamed Ibar Harry. Well, that that's good. Now, now I understand what your your screen name is on our on our website, and uh, we understand too. Yes, yep. yes, exactly. And and so today. You know, we're going to talk a little bit of Fresno State football, but you know, today we're going to get the hairy side of things. Uh, you know, that's going to be our tagline of our episode: the hairy side of things. And Harry, well, I, oh. you're, you're going to be able to give us a little bit of more insight of uh, what you think Fresno State uh, could end up doing this season. I mean, what's what's your overall opinion from what you've been able to see? Well, I'm probably one of the more fans who sees things in a very, very much more positive light. And it really centers off of a lot of different things that have come together. And I like to say that last year was the perfect storm in the worst way possible. And this year might be the perfect storm in the best way possible. A lot of things are occurring, and I don't think people are playing, paying very close attention to the coaching staff. And when I say that, I've said to people, I think this is one of the best coaching staffs, regardless of conference, across the country. Jeff has really put together a very, very outstanding staff. 
And when you listen to the players and you listen to people that perhaps get the chance to see something or talk uh, to the coaches a bit, you hear throughout the coaching staff how much detailed he is. I think in the next year or two or three, we're going to find that Tedford becomes somewhat labeled like the Belichick of college football. And people are not watching that. His attitudes, his demeanors, uh, what he does, his detail and planning is very, very much like Belichick. Very closely tied to his players. He looks at his players, fits them into where he thinks they'll work best. And I think you're going to see that through the course of the season. And the reason I say that is I don't think you're going to see a game plan. I don't either defensively or offensively. He is going to look at what the other team does, and then he's going to decide how to play his players. He's going to do what he thinks he needs to do to employ his players offensively and defensively. I think the defensive coordinator is going to turn out to be a gym in a similar way. You have seen reports like, well, he runs the 4-3, but it's not like any other 4-3. And I think it's a reflection of what they do. And he's brought together a brain trust. I've had the fortunate experience of being able to talk to Kirby a couple of times. Just in pure chance situations, one, when we went to the meet and greet function, the quarterback club happened to have a table, and Kirby came and sat at our table, so we all were able to talk to him for well over an hour. Um, Kevin Gosling, uh, Gosling uh, also was there. We talked to him. And so in the process, got to know him, and then when we were out at the golf tournament, I was out on a hole acting as a spotter to make sure if somebody hit a hold of one and what have you, and he was riding around on a golf course cart, and we talked to for a few minutes there, and, and J.D. Williams came by. So I've had some contacts here and there, but my impressions are all that this staff is very, very sharp, and they are teachers. A lot of the young men are expressing this, too. If you listen to the reports on air, you'll hear how much they're saying learning how different it is, how they're getting a different perspective of the game. And I think that this cannot be overlooked. Uh, An inside quote from uh, somebody who happened to be at a function indicated one of the um, more intelligent, smarter players on the ball club said that, to phrase it correctly, Tedford probably has forgotten more than I will ever learn about football. Gives you an insight of how well-respected Jeff is. And Jeff is kind of like Pat when you watch him on the field. He goes around to every position, and he knows every position group. He knows what goes on with that group. He could teach it. And you just don't see a lot of coaches like that. And so the detail that you're seeing and the time being put in, the interest, the investment, I think it's going to be very, very interesting. I expect us to come out 
and even players from a year ago, uh, fans are going to say, well, where did that guy come from? And I think the answer is going to be it's the talent has been brought out. They've taught up. They've coached. They've looked at the talent. They've, they've uh, reached out. The, the, the young men are buying in. They understand what they're being taught. They understand that these gentlemen have put people at the next level, a lot of people at the next level. They, some of them have played at that level. <clears throat> they know what they're doing. If I learn what and listen to what they're saying, I have a shot at the next level. Um, I think there's a lot of factors <clears throat> that are coming together in a very, very unique way. And I think we're going to be much better than the average bear. And the people are going to be surprised. Could oh, I be wrong? No, definitely. No, it always happens that way. Uh, no, Harry, but Harry, I'm, I'm sure you've uh, followed the uh, the recruiting that's going on with Fresno State, particularly how a lot of Central Valley people from as far as the 209 to Bakersfield area, they're, they're starting to uh, trickle their way back to Fresno State. So, Harry, my question is to you is that, I mean, are you – I mean – Tim DeRuiter, obviously, he he had a lot of criticism for how he um, how he would go about recruiting the local kids. Do you already feel like that Fresno State has already improved that dynamic, or do you feel like that you still need to see another year to see some consistency of Jeff Tedford going after Valley kids? I don't think you can. Uh, it doesn't take another year. I think the there were huge problems with the previous staff with respect to the Valley as a whole. Uh, without going into large detail, it started, I think, when day one, when that staff came in. And when day one approached with uh, Jeff coming in, everything changed. Jeff has so many ties to the Valley, in a sense, as well as the people he brought in, his staff that he brought in, like J.D. Williams and Jamie Christian and others, Thompson. They, their ties, their relationship, their attitude. A, a simple case in point was when they go out, for example, to Mendota and talk to Mendotans. You know, they realize probably nobody there at first is going to be coming into the program, but Mendota was important enough for them to go out and establish the ties the community to the community, make the football players feel like of importance said that, you know, we're here, we're here to help too. give us a call if you need them. And that is important because Fresno and the surrounding regions is farming country. And your word, a handshake, the ties, feeling that you're important makes a big, big difference. And I think that that's why you're going to see much more. The South Valley ties are back. They weren't there before, uh, and we know the number of recruits coming out of South Valley has been huge. You're even seeing in the North Valley, you're seeing things. When I was out in the spring, there were a number of schools as I was walking in. There was excitement. There were players coming in, and there were uh, coaches bringing their players in, and they were from all over the place, and I talked to some people, and one gentleman was from the – uh, Gold Country had brought down five, six athletes, and they were just excited to be there. They were there. They probably weren't going to be on the team, but they had 
they had some pretty good looking players that you know might ultimately wind up here. So the the atmosphere is there and the valley ties are so so important. You know, it was like the stories of course Edgar Segura and of course we know about Josh Allen. And of course we the current uh, quarterback Marcus from that area and and there was Lipke, I think it was. And there's been a Lipke. lot of people from the area. And those players have always meant a lot to Fresno State because it's not just the fact that it's the players, but the farming communities and the outlying areas are much more loyal to their football teams than the local community, by and large. So people travel. And so when we bring in players from the Central Valley and from the north to the south, even from the coast and the Bay Area and Southern California, those people travel to come to the stadium to watch the game. So uh, there was a recruit a year or two ago that I talked to his father, and he was from the area, and he said, you know what? He said, my family bought 180 season tickets. Now, people wow. don't understand that, but it's huge to fill in the stadium. It's a very important aspect of what's going on. And yeah. so I really think that it's tremendously important that we do it. I think he immediately established that connection. I don't think it's a problem. In fact, it's better than it has been since the days of Pat by far. Harry, um, you've seen a lot of the transfers, especially some of the prominent uh, names from the 559. So in your honest opinion, if you could choose one former 559 star you're excited to see this upcoming season – who would it be and why? <laughs> Maybe. It's hard. I don't, I, I don't, know, Lor- I don't know, Lorenzo. I, I think we are uh, we're a little bit more familiar with some of these guys than Harry might be. Harry, uh, Harry gets- on the five five nine area. I know, of course, people would talk about Edwards. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, being a prominent get in one sense. I like the kid Coleman from Garces, but again, the, one of the problems there is the young man has suffered an injury, so he won't be playing. But Edwards is the person who will be next year, as according to the current year. Yes. The young man from uh, uh, Sanger, I think it is, again, he looks very good, but he's a year, he's going to be a, probably a redshirt, although he's very, very talented in growing. I would tend to say, if I could change the nature of this, um, a little bit and say if we're talking about recruiting what has fascinated me with what Tedford and his staff have done is since NLI day the, the recruiting has improved most teams when you watch NLI day is the peak of the recruiting after that it's all sort of Hill. People don't show up, something happens, things like that. Well, Tedford's class has gotten, I would say, literally infinitely stronger as time has gone by. We have had a number of significant uh, recruits come in who are going to be surprises. Um, do not discount, uh, I call them uh, K. Uh, K-I-T-T, I think, K-T, Ica, Opo, 
I'm telling you, people don't understand just how good that young man is thought to be. And if you're going to watch somebody who makes a profound effect on the D-line, I think it's going to be Kichi. They can't, they're, they're beside themselves with joy that they got that young man. He yeah, it is could, very, very good. It, it could take two uh, or three games before they actually get him in there because he came into camp very late. Uh, and yeah, so, well, I know he did, but the D-line coach is taking him on personally and has 13 days to get rid of, get him ready, and they're talking about him ready for plays even in the first game. I think his biggest impact might well be, as you say, starting with UNR. But don't discount him being in early on. But it's what he does to the entire D-line. There's going to be movement on the D-line because of him. In other words, people are going to be moving around because they're going to make a spot in the center of the line for the guy. Uh, he has, he's very strong. He's probably like Muti in terms of strength. Uh, maybe not as strong as Muti, but he is very, very strong. He may be short and squat, but he is a force. If you watch the video, you'll see that he commands two people. He can't be handled with one guy, typically speaking. Well, in the past, our problem on the line has been that our guy in the middle has been sent up one side or the other side and thrown out of the play, literally just thrown like a rag doll out of the play. And so we were already at a disadvantage. Now it's 11 on 10 at least, or maybe worse. And wherever that lineman up the middle went, and when they shoved him aside, the other guy was coming through on the other side on the offensive side of the ball. We've had a lot of trouble in the center. And that's why I think that this is one of the key pickups for the team. Obviously, you've picked up a guy like Marcus locally, too, for example. And the question is still out. What is Marcus? What will he be here? How will he fit in with the ball club? Uh, he fits what I think Jeff wants to do. Jeff wants a rollout quarterback. Jeff wants a guy that can read the field. Jeff wants somebody that's very smart. He fits all of those, but so does, for example, Chasen. Chasen doesn't have the strength, I don't think, that Marcus has physically, uh, but Chasen's weight, strength, everything about him has changed markedly over the last year or so with the new strength and conditioning coach, and that's true of a lot of the players. The players look very, very different with this new strength and conditioning coach. So that's the way I look at it. I look at... What I am, you know, like Cruz, the young man that came in, probably redshirt. Again, very, very good-looking athlete, very powerful, somebody who really thinks the game. Um, there's been a couple of people, defensive backs, who've come in uh, at the last minute. You've got Johnson, who's come in, of course. Again, we've gotten nothing but gotten better. Johnson would be a five-five-nine guy. I, he is a shutdown corner conceivably. So when you look at somebody like that, you look at what has come in since NLI day, and you know how I chase people on the board and Jackson and everybody about getting the recruiting updates. <clears throat> I really feel 
that they should measure your recruiting class on NLI day and that they should then measure the recruiting, recruiting class on the first day of scrimmage or the second or the fifth day, something like that, some standard, and look at the ads and subtractions from that squad and now measure the true value of that squad. This was a good recruiting class by all standards coming in. That was before the late additions. And this class, like I've said, has gotten nothing but better, and it's going to have a huge impact, and that's part of the story this year. How do all these pieces fit together? We have a staff that knows how to put them together. Definitely. I mean, it, they've been they've been changing the the whole culture of the whole program. Uh, I was out at a game last night uh, watching Sunnyside versus uh, Clovis North and got a chance to catch up with a couple of those local recruits that have committed to Fresno State. Sherwin King uh, and I, and in uh, uh, the who was it Ruffin. Also, yeah, Deshaun yeah. Ruffin. Deshaun, Deshaun Ruffin. Ruffin's the other one. Yeah, it's it's early Saturday. I'm 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 still having my little hangover from the game, but <laughs> it uh, they after speaking with them, they're excited about what the progress that the Coach Tedford and staff has been doing here at Fresno State, uh, and they're excited to be a part of this program. So it, you can already get the sense of what is happening uh, as far as a culture change and a perspective change of what this coaching staff is coming in to do. And Fresno State is starting to benefit from it. Yeah, and I would say there's an example. I don't think the previous staff really probably paid much attention uh, to that school. You know, I, I really don't. And I'm not sure that those athletes paid much attention to the previous staff. But when you're looking at somebody like J.D. Williams you know, to be your coach or that sort of thing and what's going on and Bedford himself, uh, it made a big difference, I believe, in the recruiting aspect of things. They looked at it and said, you know, we can get the training at home that we could get somewhere else. I look at Fresno State as having a unique, not a unique, but having a niche. And to me, the niche is very simple. You have the best coaches that you can get. And then you are going to attract students or athletes who are not necessarily the four and five star will get some eventually, but they're the top three star type athletes. The three star recruit who is rated, ranked, as opposed to just being a three star athlete. And they're going to come here if you have the coaching and teaching and you can say to them, look, we send people to the NFL. You can come here and you can learn. They are the late bloomers. And those late bloomers, by and large, sometimes can be every bit as good or better than the four- and five-star recruits that have already peaked in some ways. And you see a lot of them that are that way. I like the, the young man that's going to come in and develop. We can look at Derek's car. Derek was a four-star, but Derek was far more than a four-star athlete, and we now know that. I could say some things there. It's just humorous, but I'll leave it. But then you take somebody like a Devontae Adams. He's another good example. of Somebody came in, two-star athlete, but he built. But he was able to be coached up by Keith Williams. 
and so was Isaiah Burst, and so was Josh Harper, uh, and we can go on and on. If you watched, those athletes never progressed, in my mind, in some ways, after Keith Williams left. We didn't have the teachers on the staff like we do with Kirby Moore. So young people coming in here are going to, like right now, if you're a wide receiver, you're going to go out there and be instructed by Kirby Moore. Now, you look at Kirby. Kirby was not the most gifted athletic young man on the field, but he's going to be a person who knows how to work the field. He's detailed, and he knows how a wide receiver is supposed to function to get the most out of what he has. And Kirby was that type of person. He was like Rice. Rice wasn't the fastest guy on the field, but Rice was going to get open. Kirby's going to get open. He's going to catch the ball. He's teaching the young men how to do the tap their toes and all these things. When I watched the practices, I noticed that Kirby uses a lot of the routines and techniques that Keith Williams was using when he was here. Didn't see them after Keith left. So there's where I think we fit in. And that's why when we look for the two and three star and the top three star athlete, maybe a four star, we're looking for people who are smart, understand football, love football, and can come in and are dedicated students of the game. And you keep hearing that out of a lot of the young people now under Jeff and them. They are really worried about the detail, how to do the subtle and simple things that make an important difference. So if you're a young man, like the two young men uh, from Sunnyside, they look, they listen to the coaching staff, they hear a sincerity, walk out, they listen to the players, they watch what's going on in the practice, they see the detail, they see. And this staff, for example, when somebody makes a mistake, it's not a big affair. They stop, they show them what they're doing wrong, and teach them how to do it right. They show everybody, and they continue on. And there's this positive criticism, but reinforcement of what needs to be done. They are all master teachers, and it shows in what you're seeing on the field. And so a person who is really dedicated to improving his game can come here and say, you know, they're interested in me. They know what they're doing. They're teachers. That's what I need. And I think, I think we're going to see some very, very positive results in that regard for that reason. Yeah, and definitely. I mean, we're going to see a, a, a kind of a change, kind of a different a feel for the team. Uh, Jackson and I have had a, a number of of practices uh, already for, from us heading out there, and we can already see the difference. I mean, I last season at this point, uh, we were I was watching these these players. They're pretty much going through the motions and just trying to get through the practice. As soon as practice was over, every player was gone um, off the field. Now, uh, if you look at practices, players are actually hanging around after practice and continuing to do some extra work without the coaching staff. And it's it's well, Lucy, it, it's impressive yeah. to see. I mean, it's just you know, something it reminds, to watch. It reminds me a little bit of what Pat Hill, like during that era, because I remember, and I'm sure Harry could vouch for this as well, there were actually players 
after practice putting in extra work, whether they were going to the blocking sleds, whether they were doing a backpedal. I mean, there's players doing that extra work, and they were actually enjoying themselves doing that. Well, no question, and I was going to comment and compliment Lucio. You just recently did an interview with David Patterson. Yes. Yes, I did. You could see the enthusiasm in the young man's voice, and he almost had a, a glint in his eye. Of, you, know, you know, you don't know what's going on, but, boy, we're learning a lot. You know, if you listen to the uptick in the voices and how – they interview you can you can hear it in their voices there's something going on and it's big oh yeah and, and you can tell that they're enjoying themselves they they really like what's going on one of the questions that i posed to uh, i i guess i think it was patterson was you know what are some of the funny st- stories or something that has happened that uh you you know that is really got your attention this year and he basically could not tell me what was going on because some of those funny stories are stuff that are happening back at the locker room, which tells me that this team is really enjoying each other and just are just having fun in the locker room as opposed to last year when everyone just wanted to get out of there. I mean, it's you can tell that there's a different feel with this team, and that is a start of something that could turn into something really big on the field and can turn a lot of heads uh, for people. Uh, we're projecting them to finish close to 500 or above it. And we, you know, I'm going to stick with that. I think they're going to be a, pretty much a 500 team this upcoming year. If they do better, it, it's going to be a bonus. And uh, a lot of it has to begin with how this team works around with each other and feels with each other. If they feel comfortable, they they can do a lot more, don't you think, Lorenzo? On that, absolutely. And you know, I um, I I've kind of felt like that if Fresno State this upcoming year were to finish four and eight or five and seven, I mean, to me, it's still a very positive sign because it tells me that you know the ship is starting to turn in the right direction. But you know, when I see these influx of players, talented players, who um. I mean, unfortunately, left Fresno State for greener pastures, but now I've come back. And, you know, I see um, also the recruiting class that's coming in under Jeff Teffer, plus the coaching staff. I mean, I'm convinced that Fresno State could actually surprise people and win at least six games. So I think the over-under on my end is going to be six. You think they're going to be bowl eligible, huh? So that's going to be – that'll be a huge step in the right direction if they become bowl eligible this season and will only confirm a lot of what you've been talking about, don't you think, Harry? Well, I would be, I would be disappointed at six wins. <laughs> I'm the eternal optimist. I uh, laugh. At- yes, we, we understand that. You're always the biggest optimist on the, on the website. But, you know, some of us – I think it's because of some – again, I've said before to you some – Unique combination. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, you know, one of the games that's going to be very intriguing to watch is a big game, actually, and that's the game against Washington. And the reason I say the game against Washington is Washington is not as big as Alabama in terms of their physical size. They've got some, you know, pretty good sized players and what have you. And obviously, Chris Peterson is a heck of a coach. We know that. But so is Jeff. Jeff has spent a year up there, so Jeff kind of knows a lot of their personnel. He knows a lot of what they're doing offensively and defensively. But the thing about the Washington game, which is so intriguing, is it's in the same time zone. 
it's a travel game, but it's a travel game to generally what would be called cooler country, having lived up there for a year or so. So I look at that game as kind of an intriguing game, one where we might match up physically a little bit better. And that game is going to become a chess game between two guys that are really good at coaching. And one of the things that people forget about Jeff is they always think about Tedford offensively. But Jeff is also a very good defensive mind. He is known for his game planning. And that's the thing that I I keep stressing to people. A year ago or two years ago, three years ago, uh, when we went in with a game plan, there might have been a game plan, but there was no game plan B, C. People couldn't adjust. This coaching staff is going to go in with a very, very detailed plan, and they're going to have poured over the film, and they're going to know what they want to do and how they want to do it. And if something happens on the field, I expect to see adjustments without too much trouble. And that was just not possible before. I honestly believe that uh, that Alabama and Saban, in one sense, are going to be worried about Jeff. And it's kind of a, my feelings are kind of unique and different. And I say that because I think Saban is going to know that Jeff will have a game plan against him. And that makes could make Saban a little bit nervous because the opposition are going to be looking at what we try to do. Now, will we have the talent necessarily to beat Alabama? Most people would say probably not. And I'd say that's reasonable, although I remain po- positive that we can do a little more than most people think against Alabama (laughs) because of a couple of situations. But the key thing is, I think a lot of coaches will look at what Fresno State does against Alabama and will be intrigued at why they did it. So Saban will too, and he's going to find out that he has some holes probably at that stage, and he'll work like the devil to probably fix those holes if they're there. But this staff will have a game plan. They will know what the weaknesses are. The question is, can we execute? And most people would probably say we don't stand much of a chance. But they'll know what, how to beat Alabama, but I doubt that we will. But others will watch it, what we do, and how we do it. And I bet you that game film is looked at very closely by a lot of Alabama's opponents. I, I don't know. I mean, that, that Alabama game, it's it's going to be a tough mountain to climb for the Bulldogs. Although, yeah, you know, the, the, the Bulldogs have faced things like that before and have surprised people. But Alabama is a total different monster right now. There is my, my whole thing is this. If Fresno State somehow manages to hang with Alabama, even if it's for three quarters, that to me is going to indicate, you know what? This Bulldog team is going to be a lot better than what people think. Now, if it's like a 70 to 7 uh, loss, then you know what? Unfortunately, a guy like me will be like, well, we kind of saw that coming because, you know, Fresno State still might be a year or two away. But, you know, if we see a competitive Bulldog team from the first quarter all the way to the end of the fourth, then it's going to indicate that there is some positive things to come. Well, some people are probably going to hate me, but I'm thinking it's going to be probably around 42 to 3 by halftime. And yeah, well, hopefully we're wrong. Uh, hopefully I am wrong, but it's just 
Alabama is a different monster right now, and the the thing is, is Alabama has a bad taste in her mouth from the last season. So the first thing they want to do is come out and really put a hurting on the very first team to make everybody know uh, that they are for real. And I, I don't think Fresno is their first game, but their first few games, they're going to try to come out and just put a hurting on everyone just so everybody can re- be reminded that Alabama is here. And Fresno, unfortunately, is in that crosshair uh, for Alabama to come in, to for Fresno to go in, and and Alabama to just really, you know, do whatever they can to make this one out of hand, and I, well, one, I don't know. One of the measures in that game is the fact that we play Alabama, and then Colorado State follows. I think the next week or the week after playing Alabama. So, if you look at the scores, it may also give you a measure potentially of how the two teams from our conference compare strength-wise. So there could be some other things that come out of that. But I, I think it starts all up front, and I think you, you two would agree with that. And a measure of what would happen in Alabama is how our lines play. Can our O-line make some holes? Can the D-line stop some runs? Alabama is a, a, is a team that runs the ball a lot, they play a lot of ball control. And if we're doing a lot of ball control, the score may not get that high because the two teams simply take out the clock as a factor in the game. And that's something to watch for, too. I, I hear these scores of 70 to 5 or, you know, some ridiculous score. And I just don't think that the ball game that we will play will be and the game plan will be designed to do that. We're not going to sit there and be doing three and outs if we can at all help it. That is not Jeff's idea. Jeff is going to probably use the running game as an integral part of what he does. Part of it will be to control the clock. Part of it will be to rest his defense. Uh, DeRuder never did that, even with Derek. I mean, when you look at the San Jose game, you score 50 52 points or whatever it is and lose the game, it makes no sense. You look at, like, the Rutgers game, like that. We scored at will, but the problem was the defense couldn't do anything. We depended upon, in 2013, the defense getting one or two stops, and Derek took care of the rest. This year, we don't have that kind of ball club, but we may have the running. And we've the... O-line has gone through a two-year transition in reality. You had Norcross teaching what he taught, and basically you needed a quick-release quarterback, somebody to get rid of the ball because the line was not going to sustain any kind of block. You had that, and Derek, Derek could take advantage of it. But when Burrell came along, that wasn't going to work, and any quarterback since that time, it didn't work. Last year, you had Weber... Uh, transitioning and starting the change in the O-line to what would be called a more traditional pro-style, NFL-style blocking scheme. Uh, A lot of was accomplished last year before uh, Weber had a problem because of everything else that was going on. But that transition started a year ago, and now with Rub coming in, who's an outstanding offensive O-line coach, you really are going to see the difference in the line and how they handle themselves. 
What's intriguing is typically like when we played SC, both times we played SC in the 82 game, I think it was, when, when they went down there and played in the Freedom Bowl, and in 2005 when we played them, our O-line was not the same size as the SC D-lines and what have you, what they had on the field. But in both of those games, our quarterback took care of the game, okay? We were able to open holes. We were able to run the ball. And so against teams like Washington and Alabama, one of the keys will be, can we run the ball? Can our O-line open holes? If we can, again, that bodes well for what will happen in conference play. But I don't expect the Alabama game to be anywhere like most people say. I simply say it's going to be a ball control game. Now, if we can't stop their run at all, then I agree with you. But if we can stop their drives here and there, I don't think the game is going to be the runaway that most people project. Yeah, it's uh, we can only hope that it doesn't become a runaway and, and, and really just kind of deflates this team and all that they've been able to accomplish so far. And we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on that because I believe right after Alabama, let me see, they play Alabama before they play Washington, correct? Uh, right. It's first game is Incarnate Word, Washington, Alabama, bye week, and then UNR. Okay, so they'll get a bye week after Alabama then. So after Washington. After Washington. So it's Alabama, then Washington, then the bye week. Right. Okay. So and then that bye week is very important because now you can rest up. If you were thinking about moving players around, you'll have two weeks to put together a game plan against UNR. And I'd hate to be the other coach with a new quarterback and a new scheme and everything else dealing with Tedford in that uh first conference game after a bye week. Well, that brings up my next question then on there is because that bye week is going to be very important because everyone's very aware, right, Lorenzo, of the new quarterback that's coming in. And that's Marcus yep. McMarion, the transfer out of Oregon State, uh, locally from Dinuba. And he transferred in, but you know he has a little bit of catching up to do as far as the quarterback position is concerned in getting all of the terminology and all the plays correct and getting out there and competing. Many are already projecting that if McMarion can make up the ground, that he will take over the starting position right after that bye week. Now, can he do it? Does he have the talent for that, Lorenzo? What do you think? I mean, is that even a possibility that McMarion can very well supersede um, who is it, Virgil at the starting position? Well, I could tell you this, and I covered McMarion in high school, and the guy is very, very meticulous, but the guy has a blue-collar work ethic. I mean, I felt like that he really took on the city of Dinuba's persona, which if anybody's been out to Dinuba, it's a yeah, it's a farming community, but it's very blue collar. I mean, it's it's a very scrappy community, and McMahon really embodied that during his high school career. And you know, the stories I got when he was at Corvallis was that he did well enough to to win the starting position, and not only that, got Oregon State to beat Oregon, but you know the 
return favor that I guess the Beavers gave him was that you're still going to be our backup. Jake Lutton's going to be our starter, hence why he's back at home. But, you know, if anybody has truly been around McMary, not only is he a real genuine, humble, polite young man, but he's probably going to be one of the more harder working kids you'll have on the football field because this was a guy at at Dinuba who – not only really embraced the fact that he was the face of the community, but he was one of those first one there to practice, last one to leave type of guys. So, you know, that work ethic will definitely carry it far. Now, to answer your question, Lucio, I honestly would not be shocked if I see McMarion after the 4-5 game taking over the QB reigns. Really, really. Well, you know, that's that is something that a lot of people are projecting. They, you know, right after that bye week, he's going to be able to to really get enough under enough of knowledge of the playbook to where he could possibly come in and take over that starting position and one can then can, you know, kind of speculate what's going to happen with Virgil after that if McMarion does end up winning the starting position. Because McMarion has two years of eligibility, so he can play this year and next year. So, you know, what's going to happen with Virgil? I believe Virgil already redshirted because of an injury. Am I correct on that, Lorenzo, or am I off on that? Well, uh, Virgil took a medical redshirt, right, Harry? I believe so, uh, because of his... Well, no, well... uh, That's one I'm going to have to look up. There is. He's had at least one redshirt year. And may have had a medical redshirt because they were saying that he still has three years left this year and two more technically. So, yeah. So if McMarion ends up winning the starting position, he'll play this year and probably next year. That'll leave Virgil with, what, one more year left of eligibility? I don't know if uh, if Virgil's going to want to stick around with that kind of, uh, you know, burden. He could go and play elsewhere and still be able to play two more years. So uh, I don't know. I mean, this is going to be a catch-22. We'll see how things progress during the season. And if McMarion is able to do that, things are going to get a little bit interesting as far as the quarterback position is concerned here at Fresno State. So I, I have a I don't know what do you think, Harry. On this because I watched the spring. We were able in the spring to see two or three practices. I think it was three, actually, we saw because the quarterback club was invited uh, to uh, the April 1st practice, and then there were two other practices, and the one on the 29th. Um, and I watched Virgil and Reina at that time. And Virgil was doing uh, much better, and Reina was still behind the curve. And the practice that we saw on the last week on Saturday. Reina did some things I've never seen the quarterback here doing since almost Derek. Uh, He was coming to the line and he was knowing where he wanted to go with the ball. And he was making quick, decisive passes. The receiver was open because he was anticipating who was going to be open. The receiver was open. Now, it's a very small sample size. I agree with that statement. But Reyna clearly looked like the master of the offense. The other two guys did not. The other two were hesitant. Even Virgil looked hesitant on some throws even when he was in there. 
Yes, he made the good touchdown throw to Keyshawn Johnson, but my goodness, there was nobody in uh, between uh, Keyshawn and the end zone, and there wasn't a defender within 10 or 20 yards of, of Keyshawn. That was how bad the coverage was on that play. And so it was an easy run. It was a pass. And if, if Virgil didn't make that pass, forget it. But I saw something that made me hesitate and to say, I'm not sure anybody yet, which is what the staff has said, who is going to come out of this mix. Because all of a sudden, Rayner showed things that he didn't show at all in the spring. And it was surprising. And Rayner does have the bigger arm. There's no question about that. He's a good runner. He has size. He has speed. Uh, in terms, when I say size, he has the physical build. He's more durable than, than Chasen. Chasen has no question the team has his back. Chasen is a leader on the ball club. No question about it. That's where Marcus is kind of, is kind of in limbo because Marcus is the new guy on the block. Very smart very intelligent. He sees the field well. He doesn't have as big of an arm, I don't think, as Reyna in reality. Okay? So I really think the quarterback position is still in turmoil in a sense because they see things, but they don't. They haven't seen it consistently. And, you know, after the, that short, about the first half and they closed the practice, we weren't able to see what went on after that. So I don't know about the quarterback position. I think it's hard to make a lot of assumptions. But I would assume that what you say is true, that by the UNR game, somebody will have emerged. Injuries may play a part in that. If the O-line can't protect the quarterbacks and the quarterback against Alabama and Washington gets hammered, who knows what will happen. That's the one spot that I think is really, truly, uh, really up in the air. And uh, we, we get give and take. Somebody makes an advance and moves up, and then they move back, and somebody else makes a move up. I would think from a team perspective, they would almost need to start Virgil because of, of the team ties. And the team, the fact that he's been here, the, the, the players know him, he's worked so hard, he's become an important team leader. I would see Virgil starting. But then again, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And this staff, if you haven't learned by now, are very, very secretive. They do not want information coming out. <laughs> they try to hide it as much as they can. Oh, yes. And, you, and in your interviews, yeah. you can hear the guarded nature of some of the responses. So we don't know what's going on inside. <laughs> but it was just intriguing, that small sample, we saw something and Steve Rodriguez, who sit, was sitting behind me at the, at the uh, scrimmage, we both saw the same thing, and we were commenting on it. It was just kind of odd. But he, he had a total command of what was going on out there, and he seemed like, to us anyway, the only quarterback that had that. And that was intriguing, because that has not been talked about. And everybody's kind of ignoring Jorge. But, and I was prior to that, because I didn't, I didn't see too much out of my personal opinion in the spring. But, boy, that caught my eye in that scrimmage, what he did. It really caught my eye because it was kind of different. Again, it, you know, was it the starters? 
there's so many factors involved, but I don't think Reina is necessarily out of the mix, Lorenzo. <laughs> oh, this- and I do want to clarify: I am not related to Jorge Reina. <laughs> I mean, it's going to oh. be a re- yeah, it's going to be a reoccurring theme throughout the whole season. So I want to clarify: we're not related. <laughs> there you go. And then I, you know, it is. It is going to be funny, you know. It's funny that you mentioned that, Harry. That they seem the interviewees seem a little guarded and stuff. That's because you know there are people watching as we're doing the interview, and so they are being very careful of what they say and when they say it to us when we're doing our interviews. And so we we try not to dig too too far deep into anything because this you're right this this coaching staff is very guarded on what they do and for good reason they're a new coaching staff they're trying to come in and get every advantage that they can for this upcoming season to to be able to perform and so they're trying to limit as much of their information as possible coming out um, but. You know us at the Bark Board. That's not going to stop us from digging. That's not going to stop us from getting all the latest scoops and everything for our premium subscribers. So we're going to keep doing that. And Jackson is very good about getting getting information. And we'll we'll just keep putting it on here as best as we can for our uh, premium subscribers. Those of you who are not premium subscribers yet, you need to be. And uh, there's several reasons why. And and Harry. I mean, you've been one of our biggest promoters. Why don't you let some of these these uh, people who are not premium subscribers know why it is that they need to become some? Well, again, I think you've listened to what I've said. I use a great deal of the information that comes out of the insider. I think you provide a very valuable asset in terms of people who have interest. You have the film. You have the uh, in. A lot of times when a new recruit is picked up or commits, you have an immediate interview. Jackson and you and Lorenzo have done a very, very good job of providing those interviews. And it's intriguing to listen to the recruit. It's one thing to see the words. It's another thing to listen to to that interview. Most of them are uh, both. You have both the uh, uh, transcribed uh, interview as well as the voice. And I like to hear the voice inflections and in what people say. A lot of times you provide information that say, here are people who are prospects. Well, I'll go out and I'll look at that information and I start researching on who these people are and what they're doing. I do not have a Twitter account, but that doesn't stop me from going up and looking at Twitter accounts. And, you know, for example, I, I followed... Um, I, uh, uh, Kichi, and uh, I missed the last day when he finally committed. I wished I hadn't. But, I, again, I watch that kind of thing. I've been watching what's being said by the young man in Georgia, uh, Tommy Trimble. And Trimble, of course, is being sought out by very, very big schools, and we were in the mix. Looks like we're out of it, but that young man's kind of intriguing. I'm not so sure we're out of that one. And if he shows up on 9-2 for when Derek Carr is here, we still have a chance, but I don't know. But it provides a lot of information for people to look at, to, to put film together, video together. It's organized. There's some things I want to see changed, as you know, with, with the recruiting as far as the rankings, but that's another whole issue. 
But it's a very valuable forum. And the insider, you get people like myself and others, too, who will comment on that forum that won't comment on the main board. And there are some people who are in the inside who do, uh, you know, give out some information or say some things will say, well, I was here, I was there. So it's really, if you're really into Fresno State football and you want to get a feeling for what's going on, that insider board provides an awful lot of detail. And it's even been doing so for basketball of late, too, to a certain degree. So, again, that's the way I feel about it. I enjoy the interviews. I enjoy the, inter, uh, the, the give and take. And it's exciting. I mean, when, for example, that interview with uh, Kitty, he goes, I'm in the room and my parents say, you're, you're going to play for Jeff Tedford? Do you understand who Jeff Tedford is? That was priceless. But that gave those of us who listened to that, those on the inside, an insight to what they were thinking. But it also gave you a measure of Tedford and what he means to the football community and how, how closely people pay attention to him. As a sidebar, I can tell you that one of the problems Fresno State has right now is they've cut way back on Twitter and statements that they're stating because other coaches have people who are watching who we're going after. They're paying very close attention to who Fresno State's looking at. And it's not unusual for Fresno State now to offer somebody, and you'll see a whole slew of offers right after that. So the information you guys are providing and the insight and who we're looking at is not only important to us, but it's apparently pretty important to maybe some of the rest of the football community. Oh, definitely. And and you, you'd be surprised some of the people that follow us. Uh, we we know every single person that is subscribed to the website. And so we 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 know who is trying to pick up on some of our insider information. And you'd be surprised. Uh, there are out of the area people who we think, you know, are not even affiliated with Fresno State. But, you know, what can we do? We can't exactly turn away business. <laughs> so, um, but these guys, you know, I agree with you. The, there's a lot of people watching what Fresno State does. And Jackson, Lorenzo, and I, we are very good about picking up who Fresno is looking at. And if we don't know, there are people who will tell us who they are looking at so that we can continue to follow and, and kind of give that update out to, uh, to the public, to our premium subscribers. So it's, uh, it, you know, I hate to say it, we, we service our premium subscribers first. And yep. typically, sometimes when things get reported on our free board, it's usually, on average, it's about three weeks after we have already announced it on our premium board. So that you gives guys, you an insight. Yep. You guys have to earn your information from us, okay? <laughs> Pay us. Well, we got we got to get you know we have to get compensated for the hard work we're doing. So <laughs> that's, exactly, that's the way it works. Uh, but you know, I, I think what? that being said, what you got one final thing, um, Harry? Did you have one? More uh, thing? We could throw back. I, first, a compliment. I think one of the things you do offer is with Lorenzo being in one area. You and Jackson here, uh, Lorenzo covers far to the north too, and with your your background in the high school scene, I think that helps a lot too, because some of these young men you guys know 
way before when suddenly a name gets mentioned, oh, well, we interviewed or we talked to that young man. I think you, you provide some valuable insight also in that regard. And I don't think every board has that aspect available to them. So I would compliment uh, you gentlemen in that regard, too, because your interest is broader. It's total football, and that's an important part of the information that's coming through the, to the board. It's not just Fresno State football. It's all of football, and because of that, the broader base, it really adds a dimension, I think, to what you're doing. I would like to mention, in, in of course, at the end, as, as I am a member of the quarterback club and an officer, I would hope that people would join the quarterback club uh, and get involved in Fresno State football. The quarterback club is really an entry level, if you will, donation in effect to the football program. All membership uh, funds received through QBC membership goes directly to support the uh, football team. It's not used for any other purpose. All the officers and so forth do everything on a voluntary basis. And so most things that we do um, are not paid for in one sense out of the uh, QBC monies that are collected. Certain things like uh, mailings and things like that are, but the expenses that are uh, paid for out of the funds collected are very, very minor, probably less than 10% of the total funding. We have done team feeds in the past. We do the annual awards banquet every year, and that is anywhere takes us between nine to twelve thousand dollars or more a year to do the awards banquet by the time you rent a facility pay for the meals and everything and what we do and so that is one of the things and that will be held this year on the sunday following the last game i think the last game is boise and the boise game is on a yeah. saturday so that sunday we will have the awards banquet and that is a big event uh, we have done a number of other things, and if when the funds reach a certain level, they go into the fund for excellence, and it's for the coaches to use for other things they need to, to, to do. The funds, however, from the QBC can only be used for what would be called, oh, like the field turf, um, when the, the coaching staff needed to... Uh, have better equipment for uh, scouting or breaking down film if you were going to do locker room type things. In other words, it cannot be scholarship related. All funding for scholarships comes, goes through the BDF. But the other ancillary needs, and there are many for the football program, are in effect can be funded through the QBC if the QBC grows. There are obviously other funding organizations within football. But QBC is for the small guy, the little guy, the person that says, you know, for $75 a year, I'm a member of the quarterback club. Well, I want my family to be included in that. So for 125, I have a family membership. Or for 250, I can be that mega fan or that business or whatever you want to call it, person that puts a little bit more into it. You can, if you so desire, uh, contribute more money through the 
uh, excellent fun with the QBC, and it would go specifically to football. But it's meant for uh, you get an invitation, let's say, to the NLI function. Uh, the meet and greet quarterback club members got invited to. So there are functions like that in addition that you have at your where you will get an invitation to, and you're supporting the club. Not everybody is, can, can sit there and say, I'm going to be a $5,000 donor or $100,000 donor. But it's the Valley's team. And if enough of the smaller groups of people come together, and let's say we get 1,000 members, well, it's $75 a piece. There's raising 75000 If you take it to 10,000 subscribers, which would be really nice, now you're talking 750000 a year just if you were a single membership. I forgot to mention retirees like myself can join for $50 a year. So, And we've changed it also, interestingly. I spent a lot of time getting this done, but we now are on a calendar basis for football. It used to be a fiscal basis, and it was a terrible thing because nobody could figure out when their membership ended and started and things like that. And they've even done that for season ticket holders. Now, everything on football is pretty much based on the calendar year because the year's over basically on December 31st unless you happen to get in a bowl game. But most of the football activity is over and you're starting the new year. You're thinking, this year, nobody knows what's going to happen because you're going to have the early uh, signing period. So we'll hold a signing function after that early December signing period. Don't know yet. Will they wait till February to have that signing function, which will be the second signing function for the year? This year is going to be an exciting year with all the things that are going on, and you're going to see a lot more activity. But, uh, but for people who want to be a part of Fresno State football in a small way, don't want to be a part of it, but can't contribute a lot of money, join the QBC, become a member, and, it will, and you'll enjoy it. And if you go out and do the meet and greets with people and fans and other um, quarterback club members, there are people who really love football, and they'll talk your leg off like I will. And we do have a functions occasionally. We had a barbecue, as uh, uh, Lucio well knows. Uh, he came over and said hello, but he had to run back to be with Jackson. But he knows I prepared a significant number of desserts for that. <laughs> yes, other I do. people did other things. And we really have good get-togethers when people get together. So uh, be a part of it. Enjoy it. It's simple. It's not special. Just go up to GoBulldogs.com and find uh, where they have uh, clubs. And every, every sport will have a sports club. The t- you have the dugout club for baseball, the timeout club for basketball. Women's basketball has their program. Every sport on campus has a club. Join it. Enjoy it. You never know who you meet. I know, for example, lacrosse, you know who has that. It's the Romanowskis. So they're very involved because their daughter plays lacrosse. And they have become a very instrumental part of Bulldog football, including what's going on at the latest event. Um, it's, it's amazing who's becoming a part of the program. That's another thing that's exciting about uh, Fresno State football right now. There are a lot of people who are coming in who are big names, 
And it's going to be real interesting to see what happens with the program. Definitely. And, uh, you know, thank you, Harry, for sharing that information. For those of you who are looking to be a part of uh, of something here at the Fresno State uh, football lever, uh, level, that is something that uh, you should really check into. And that being said, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show for today. And so, Lorenzo, any final thoughts before we move on, uh, before we wrap this up? No, but I would plan on being at Bulldog Stadium September the 2nd against Incarnate Word. Um, looking forward to the Tefford regime. Also looking forward to Derek Carr getting his jersey retired. Awesome. Yes. So definitely, if you don't know already, Derek Carr getting his jersey retired at the uh, home opener against uh, Incarnate Word. So hopefully we'll see everyone out there. And so with that being said, Lorenzo, why don't you let everybody know how they can get a hold of us? At Red Wave Report on Twitter. Once again, at Red Wave Report on Twitter. Give me a follow on Twitter at LJ underscore Reyna. Once again, at LJ underscore Reyna. Also, also what's active is the FNF podcast Twitter handle, which is at Scout FNF. Yes, definitely. That is our podcast, which covers high school football throughout the state of California. And like Harry said, that is an instrumental part of what Lorenzo and I do to stay up to date with all the latest recruits, not only here in the Valley, but throughout the state of California, who some of which will be at some point recruited by Fresno State. So that being said, I want to thank everyone for joining us on the sh- uh, w- with us here at the show and join us again back next week as we continue the ongoing coverage of Fresno State football. So until then, enjoy yourselves and we'll see you next time. Next time.